You're, now what? What do I do? Fortunately, we have the internet, so most of the time you can find the instruction manual, the owner's manuals online somewhere. But back in the day, I can say that because I'm that old. Back in the day, you didn't have that kind of resource. But, um, but Jesus answers that question for us today, starting in the book of Acts. He gives answers to his apostles and for us. We have a job to do. We have a place to go. So if you, if you have your copy of God's Word, I would invite you to turn to the book of Acts, chapter 1. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 11. We finished the book of Mark in, on December 11th, I think it was, uh, looking at Jesus' ministry. We talked about everything he did, and we talked about his crucifixion, his resurrection. And then we talked for a couple of Sundays about his birth, which was a glorious thing to do. But uh, Luke also recorded a gospel account. <clears throat> The, the great physician, or the love, beloved physician, I should say, the beloved physician, he recorded a gospel called Luke. And he also then recorded the book of Acts. He wrote both of these books for a particular reason. He wrote them for Theophilus. Theophilus was some Roman citizen. Um, his name means lover of God or loved of God. But uh, he wrote Luke for him, and he also wrote Acts for him to inform him of the, the new movement that was going on. This new movement that kept claiming that Jesus Christ had risen from the dead. And so that movement later becomes what we know now as the church of Jesus Christ. So let me read this passage to you and then we'll, we'll talk about it. Acts chapter 1, starting with verse 1. <clears throat> I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up. After he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. <clears throat> for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of their sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for this word. I thank you for this, this bridge builder, this gap filler of information that we have from from Jesus' resurrection to the birth of the church and the ministry of the church. Illuminate our hearts, excite our souls, Lord, this, this morning to remember why we are here, to remember where we are to go from here. We need your help, Father, and it's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So in this little excerpt after Jesus has risen from the dead. We all know about his appearances to the disciples and everything, but this is kind of the last appearance. He points his disciples to the next phase. 
There's always the next phase with Jesus in God's kingdom. The next phase of the kingdom of God and his message and his ministry for that. So Jesus calls us in our redeemed life, in the life we have now as, as saved believers, in our redeemed life, to take the truth of God's kingdom beyond ourselves to the world. And you've heard me say that many times in here. We're, we're here to, to help propel missions, to propel the gospel into our world. So how does Jesus want us to use our salvation? That's kind of a basic question that Jesus answers for us here. What do, what do we do once we're saved? Where do we go from here? Well, this passage gives us three truths that Jesus gives us to tell us exactly how and what we're supposed to do next as followers of Jesus Christ. Truth number one. Truth number one. Jesus rose from the dead for us. We need to never forget that. That needs to be the crux of everything we do. We have Christmas and Easter, and we talk about it a lot, but it needs to be the point. So as we read here, let me read these first uh, three verses for you again and kind of see what, what Jesus is telling them. I wrote the first narrative, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day he was taken up, after he had given instructions through the Holy Spirit to the apostles he had chosen. After he had suffered, he also presented himself alive, alive to them by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking about the kingdom of God. So when Luke finishes his gospel account in Luke 24, he kind of gives it away that, oh God, by the way, Jesus is going to ascend into heaven. And, and he kind of shows that because Luke probably didn't know whether he was going to write a second volume or not. He, he just didn't know what was going to happen. Um, some people believe that Theophilus commissioned him to do the research to write these two books. We don't have any written proof of that. But he didn't know what was going to happen next. Um, and so he, he kind of re, re, reviews it here a little bit. He writes to explain what else Jesus did in that period of time when he was raised from the dead before he ascended into heaven for the final time. So he kind of recaps what Jesus had taught before his death, burial, and resurrection. And that's verses 1 and 2 there. Jesus' deeds, Jesus' teachings were clearly told in the first volume. Theophilus has that. He has all that information, like we have it. He knew exactly what Luke had written to him about. And then Luke speaks of the period between Jesus' rising and his ascension, after Jesus had suffered for our sins. And that's verse 3 there. Jesus proves to the disciples and others that he is alive. He proved it. He ate, he touched, he was touched, he showed them their, his scars, he built a fire to cook fish on. He was a live human being. He had a glorified, active, real body. He proved it. He proved it. There's no doubt, there shouldn't be no, any doubt, he was definitely alive. But before he was taken home permanently in this ascension that we have here, he gives the 11 apostles some more instructions and he gives it to them kind of by the Spirit, because in John it talks about him saying he breathed on them and they received the Holy Spirit. So they had the Holy Spirit to help them begin to understand. <laughs> you know the disciples, they wrestled with a lot of things in their, in their journey. As we went through Mark, you saw that many times. But now he connects the prophets, the Psalms, and the law of the Old Testament. What we have is the, our Old Testament. The, the Bible that they had, that they were raised on, he now connects it to his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He gives them more knowledge and more wisdom in those 40 days than they had before. And why? Because he was alive. 
See, he was alive. It didn't make any sense till he died and rose again. Nothing that Jesus had taught them really made a lot of sense. He kept saying, the kingdom of God is near. And they're like, well, what does that mean? Does that mean the kingdom of God as Israel? But now, Jesus is alive. And because, yes, amen, because he was alive, he could now explain to them a little bit more. Much of what he had taught makes more sense. The kingdom of God, once represented by Jesus, now would be present in believers. See, now they were getting the knowledge to talk about the kingdom of God like Jesus had talked about it. They weren't there yet because we're going to find out in a minute that they still are hanging on to something. But um, his death and his resurrection were for the church. He was, he was beginning in time and space to set up a new covenant organism. And that's the church in the present world. He wants this church that he's setting, groups of believers to come together and carry forth the message that he was. Jesus is speaking of God's kingdom in time and space, not something that's out there spiritually or ethereal or, or whatever. He's talking about it right now in, pre, in the present time and space, and he's talking about it becoming real by means of the church. We're going to talk a lot more about that as we go through Acts, but Jesus came with the kingdom of God on his lips and the access to that kingdom in his blood. And that is why he's passing now, his death, burial, and resurrection. He, they were for the church. He's passing it on to his apostles because he lives. I'm just thinking of that song by the Gaithers, by Gaither. You know, five years ago, I came here. It's been five years. I know some of you are thinking it's been 10, probably. Felt like a lot longer, but it's been five years. I came here. You called me. You invited me. I accepted obviously. Um, we came here, we bought a house, we invested our lives here, we're still investing our lives here. Why? Why would y'all call me and why would I come? Because Jesus is alive, okay? Because he has a purpose, he has a reason for us being together. He wants us to join forces in this church for his kingdom. He wants us to reach Altamont, Effingham, Illinois, and the uttermost parts of the world. And that's why we're here. He wants us here. And that his son rose for this. God's son rose for us to this. And I want you to hear Jesus speak in Revelation chapter 1. If you've got your Bibles and you want to turn there. Revelation chapter 1. John is beginning his recording of this. This amazing revelation of the end times. But it begins right where it should begin. With Jesus Christ. It begins right where it's supposed to be. Revelation chapter 1, verses 12 through 19. Listen as John records what went on. He's, he's just heard a voice say, write on a scroll what you see and present it to the seven churches. And in verse 12 he says, Then I turned to see whose voice it was that spoke to me. When I turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And among the lampstands was one like the Son of Man, dressed in a robe with a golden sash wrapped around his chest, the hair of his head was white as wool, white as snow, and his eyes were like a fiery flame. His feet were like fine bronze as it is fired in a furnace, and his voice like the sound of cascading waters. He had seven stars in his right hand. A sharp, double-edged sword came from his mouth, and his face was shining like the sun at full strength. 
When I saw him, I fell at his feet like a dead man. He laid his hand on me and said, Don't be afraid. I am the first and the last. And the living one. I was dead, but look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades. Therefore, write what you have seen, what is and what will take place, after this, Jesus is alive, and his word is important, and he has a purpose for it. He has a reason for us to be here. He has a place for us to go. Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection happened. It's no doubt. There's proofs. There's testimony. We even have a divine witness in the Holy Spirit, which I'm going to get to in a minute. We have, as we sang earlier, victory in Jesus. Victory in Jesus it's in Jesus that we have the victory, not because of Jesus alone. It's in him. Over sin, over death, we have eternal life, we have abundant life. It all resides in the fact that Jesus Christ, the Son of God, came and died and rose again. And his blood and his raised body is in heaven now for us. And it gives us heaven as our home, as our final destination where the heavenly sunlight shines forever. You can spell that sun with an S-O-N if you want. So how shall we use this truth? How shall we use the fact that Jesus Christ rose for us? Jesus' words, his teaching, his commands, and his calling our lives, they mean something. They mean something. They mean this. The church, the body of Christ, forms around his sacrifice. We're built on that. He's the solid rock that we build our church on. And the body of Christ, the church, acts on his words. We take action on his words, whether it's to help people find out that life is precious and that God wants them to save lives and not abort them, whether it's to take the gospel to the other uttermost parts of the world, we act on his words. And Jesus died for us and he rose for us. And we need to never forget the fact that he gives us new life and a purpose for his kingdom. So, that said, in verses 1 through 3, Jesus rose for our salvation. Now he instructs us, <laughs> and here comes where we got got the rubber meets the road. He instructs us on what we're supposed to do with that resurrection. Truth number two, Jesus gave power for our words. Verses 4 through 8. Let me read that section again for you. While he was with them, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for the Father's promise, which, he said, you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit in a few days. So when they had come together, they asked him, Lord, are you restoring the kingdom to Israel at this time? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or periods that the Father has set by his own authority, but, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, in all Judea and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. So let me break this down for you a little bit. Jesus told them in John 14 through 16 all about the Holy Spirit, about the promise, about the Father's promise. But Jesus reminds them again here, you have heard me speak of this. You have heard me speak of this. The baptism of John, which was with water, was a baptism of repentance. It was a baptism where people owned their sin. They basically admitted they were sinners. And they were willing to admit that openly and publicly. So John baptized them in water. But Jesus says the promise of God, the Father, is to baptize with God the Spirit. Well, that's, that's, that's significantly better than water. 
So what does that exactly mean? What does it mean to be baptized with the Holy Spirit? Well, baptism, the word is a Greek word. It goes, it's, it, we just transliterated it straight into English. It's baptizo in the Greek. And it just means simply immersion. It means submerging something. It can't even mean talk about washing dishes or something like that. You submerge them in water. But more, most of the time, it's used in terms of committing yourself to some religion. And in our case, the religion of, of Jesus Christ, the Christianity. It's an immersion. And the Holy Spirit was coming. That baptism was coming for them. In a few days, as a matter of fact, 10 to be exact, Jesus was being a little coy with how many days it was going to be. It actually was 10 days on Pentecost, 50 days after Passover. So that's how we get the 10. They would receive this promise. Yet, even though they kind of had been instructed by Jesus, they still had one question they had kind of been asking the whole time they were with Jesus. When he gathered with them on the Mount of Olives near Bethany, outside Jerusalem, about six miles, he gathered with them on the Mount of Olives, and they said, Ah, we got one more question. Are you going to restore the kingdom to Israel? Uh, no, that's not what Jesus came for. Israel's kingdom was gone. And that's something that they, they just didn't, hadn't, hadn't swallowed it. Israel's kingdom was gone. Their sin and rebellion against God Almighty had ended that kingdom. Now, you've got to remember, the kingdom of Israel is not the nation of Israel we know today. The kingdom of Israel was a monarchical theocracy. It was God-run monarch. It's not that anymore. It's a parliamentary d democracy, actually, in the nation of Israel. So the kingdom of Israel, that, as they know it, was gone. There would be no kingdom of Israel anymore. Jesus, <laughs> this is the good news, Jesus is the last king of Israel. He is the son of David that would take the throne forever and ever. So the new Israel is actually believers, the church, really. And Paul talks about that in Galatians. So Jesus answers them directly. He's like, no, I'm not here to, he didn't really say no, but he was like, you don't have any need to know all these times and periods and things that God has got worked out. It's by his authority, it'll happen in his good time. It's his sovereignty. He, he's been telling the children of Israel that since Deuteronomy 29, 29. The secret things belong to the Lord, our God, but the things that are revealed belong to us and to our children forever. That, that we may do them and do the words, all the words of this law. So that's God's business. Those questions about Israel and all that, that's all God's business. But, and I love it when I see a but in the scriptures because that means something is kind of countering what was just asked or what was just talked about. But the revealed promise is coming. The Holy Spirit will give them power to do their mission. Verse 8 makes it clear, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come on you. He tells them to wait. He says this a couple of times in this passage. Wait. Wait in Jerusalem, wait on the Father, wait for God to fulfill this promise, wait. Boy, is that a four-letter word or what? More, none of us like that. We don't like waiting, especially in this day and age. We get, we get upset when fast food takes five minutes. We hate waiting, but that's what Jesus told them to do, so they were going to wait. 
And they did wait 10 days. And we'll talk about that next week or the week after. Jesus tells them why they need the Holy Spirit, though, to baptize them. He tells them why. Jesus has given them a mission to testify, to witness, to carry the gospel, the good news, to the people around the world. Tell the good news to everyone who will listen, eventually to the whole world. He even gives them the plan. I mean, Jesus makes this easy. Jerusalem, a city. Judea and Samaria, a region. What was next? (laughs) I went blank. And to the end of the earth. And if you read, as we go through Acts, you'll see that happen. As you, go, as you get past chapter 8 and 9, after Paul gets converted, you'll see it begin to expand and expand. And now it is to the ends of the earth, but there are still people groups out there that have never heard the gospel of Jesus Christ, which is why we still have a mission. But hear what Jesus says right here. You will be my witnesses. It can't be clear. You will be my witnesses. Why else would God give the Spirit to them and leave them here? Why else? I know, it makes no sense. Why couldn't God just, Jesus just stay on earth and tell everybody, and he'd be the guy that's the spokesman, you know, the central figure of this thing, and he spread the gospel. Why does he want us to do it? Because God decides periods and times, and he's sovereign. It's his, his choice, his choice, and he wants to use us which should honor us. God wants to use you and me to spread the gospel. Jesus gave them the words. He spent three years with these guys, teaching them. He even connected the Old Testament to what he had done. And now now God is going to give them the power and the ability and the motivation to take that gospel around the world. They would preach. They would teach. They would show signs by the message, or by signs, the message of the gospel. They would even die for the gospel. I don't think any of us are under that threat right now. But they would do all this because they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. They would plant churches to do the same thing they were going to be doing, to carry the message onward to the ends of the earth. See, right here, Jesus gives them the long game. He shows them the long-term plan. And it is to have this eternal view about everything, the kingdom of God. Forget about Israel. Forget about that past, that past kingdom that kept thumbing their nose at God. You have an entire book or section of minor and major prophets that are strictly about the fact that God's people, Israel, thumbed their nose at him, rejected him, didn't live for him. Forget about all that. God seeks to restore his worship around the world. That's why he gave him the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Kind of illustrate this point, Jesus is giving of the power to the church to use to spread the, the gospel. It's kind of like security clearances in the military. I, I had a bunch of them, um, and they kept getting higher, higher. And every time you get another security clearance in the military, you're, you're supposed to use that as a resource and a responsibility to further your mission, to be able to carry out a mission. It was, it was a little more access uh, behind the green door. Remember, Don, the green door. It was always this like sacred place and and you had to get a special clearance to even be allowed to look in the room much less go in the room so once you have it 
the Spirit of God, is granted to us for our message, and the responsibility is on us to use it. If you are saved, you have that clearance. You are empowered by the Spirit to carry that message, the message of Jesus Christ. I want you to hear what Jesus said about the Holy Spirit when he was talking to his disciples. In John 14 and, through, and 15 and 16, I'm just going to read some, some verses out of there. If you want the references, I'll give them to you later. But I will ask the Father, Jesus says, and he will give you another helper, that he may be with you forever. That is the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive because it does not see him or know him. But you know him because he abides with you and will be in you. But the helper, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and bring to your remembrance all that I have told you. Well, that's good to know because I can't remember my name some days. But I tell you the truth, Jesus says, it is to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper will not come. But if I go, I will send him to you. And he, when he comes, will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment. But when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all truth. For he will not speak on his own initiative, but whatever he hears, he will speak. And he will disclose to you what is to come. He will glorify me, for he will take of mine and will disclose it to you. What he's going to take of mine is the message of eternal life that's in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. So, Holy Spirit's coming. So let me explain a few things about this, just to kind of get your, 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 your mind on the right thing. First of all, the Holy Spirit is someone, not something, someone you receive when God gives you a new heart. It happens at conversion. It doesn't happen as an extra event. Believers get a heart transplant, and with that bonus, you get the Holy Spirit. It's not an extrovert. The first church received it as a separate event. And we see that because some of them had already had faith. The disciples all had faith in Jesus Christ. But they didn't have the Holy Spirit yet. We see that as a separate event. But from that point forward, the Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Paul writes in Romans, For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body, and all were made to drink of one spirit. 1 Corinthians 12. When we are saved, we are born again, we are regenerated, the Spirit of God comes to live in us. We have the fullness, the fullest form of the Spirit when we are saved. Now, we don't always know exactly how the Spirit is going to work in our lives. That takes time and discipleship, kind of a foot stomp. Discipleship, we're going to talk about that. We learn over time how to allow him to help use us and help us, which brings up the second point I want to make clear. The Holy Spirit is not someone we manipulate or control. Sometimes we think we've got to do certain things to get the Holy Spirit to come on board with our plans. That's not, that's not the way it works. He's God, by the way. He's God. We submit to him. We submit to the Holy Spirit. The Spirit rarely forces his power on us, rarely. And if, if he does, man, I hope you're listening because that's probably really bad. He rarely forces himself on us. We, we must allow him to lead us. We must allow him to help us. We must open ourselves up to him. In Galatians chapter 5, Paul gives some really good instructions on what it means to live by the Spirit. Let me read a few of them there. In, in Galatians chapter 5, starting at 16, 
I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you will certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what is against the flesh. They are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want. But the fruit of the Spirit, (laughs) the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. See, we're submitting to Him. We're staying in step with the Holy Spirit. We can't get ahead of Him, and sometimes we do get behind Him, but we we don't need to do that. It's not some other level of living the Christian life that you're now Spirit-filled or whatever. It is in you, and you learn over time. So how do we live like this? Well, it helps to know what your Bible says. It helps to know what your Bible says. Again, discipleship will help you with that. But reading it yourself, studying it, learning from it. The fruit of the Spirit is a great place to start working on. Those nine characteristics, they're, they're listed otherwhere, but Paul lists them right there in Galatians 5. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Learn those. Put them in front of you, always. When you're in a tough situation, think, which fruit applies? That's how we live by the Spirit. That's how we walk by the Spirit. Also, we must choose to live like this. This is a choice. I told you to think about those things. You have to have that added. You've got to deny your selfish attitudes and begin to be a selfless person. Choosing to live like this. Choosing to have that attitude in front of you. Choosing to have those fruit on your mind. And it happens when you study your Bible. It happens when you pray. It helps. And it also happens because you're worshiping God. And being around Christians who want to grow in Christ is crucial. Crucial. It's, it's not a Lone Ranger event out there. You, there's no such thing as a solo Christian. It's not healthy, no matter what somebody says. You need people around you, Christians who are striving to live out their faith. And lastly, living by the Spirit takes practice. Okay? None of us are perfect ever, and none of us won't be perfect we just get better and better. It takes practice. It also takes mutual support from those who are seeking the same thing. We need to always remember we're all on a journey, on a path. And, and just because you're a little bit better at something doesn't make you better than them. We need to all be pulling each other along. Mutual support from those who see. The longer I serve him, the sweeter he grows. Because the longer I serve him, I'm, I'm working with people. I'm also learning to be open to the Holy Spirit's leading. Stepping in faith in Christ with any righteous action that you want to do prompts the Spirit to help us. You're not leveraging Him, but He wants you to fulfill and obey the Scriptures. So stepping out in faith to do something in your Scripture, He'll show up. I mean, every Sunday I get up here by by the Holy Spirit. It's a good thing I believe in Him because I would probably not get up here. I'm an introvert by nature. My kids don't believe that, but I am. I'm an introvert by nature, so every Sunday I need the help. Every time we do something for Jesus Christ, many say, I can't read my Bible. Many say, I can't understand my Bible. Well, you can. It just takes time, and it takes help sometimes. People say, I can't talk to anyone about Jesus. You can. Faith says you can. By the Holy Spirit living inside us, we have the power to do that. We can live out our faith consistently by that power. But do we choose to? 
do we choose to? And it's a choice every time. I've been a Christian for over 40 years now. It's every day there's some point in my life I have to choose to follow Christ. I have to choose to live this life by the Spirit. Sometimes I do, sometimes I don't. That's why we're starting these discipleship communities, to help all of us live out our faith better. It's not so one person's better than the other. It's just that we all need to be moving along that walking with the Spirit. The Spirit calls us to be serious about our faith. The Holy Spirit calls you. Jesus gave it to us for us to be serious about it so that the world will take the gospel seriously. Not religion. Religion is man's attempt to reach God. Christianity is God reaching man by Jesus Christ. And we want them to take the gospel seriously. I'm going to take a sidebar here. That incident with the football player last Monday night. I mean, that, that woke up some folks. And, and I know they all were praying, and I, like I've said before, there's no such thing as atheists in foxholes. I know they were praying sincerely. I don't know how many of them are Christians, and I'm not going to sit here and judge that. But someone realized that there's a life after this one. And every human being has that dwelling in them. They know there's something out there. So let's get them the gospel. That's all I'm going to say about that right now. God gave you and me the power. The same power. This is the same power, by the way. Most people don't realize this is the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. Romans 8, 11. The Holy Spirit God used to raise Jesus Christ from the That same power we have access to. Use it. Never quench it. Don't ignore it. Never doubt it or fear it. Don't let, I can't stop you. Our power comes from God. We must promote the, God, the gospel that God has given us. You can and you have the power to do that. So Jesus rose for us, and he gave us power. That's the first two truths he gave us. Now he, he leaves us. <laughs> what? He leaves us, but he leaves us with a promise. Truth number three, Jesus left us to return to us. Verses 9 through 11. After he had said this, he was taken up as they were watching, and a cloud took him out of the sight. While he was going, they were gazing into heaven, and suddenly two men in white clothes stood by them. They said, Men of Galilee, why do you stand looking up into heaven? This same Jesus, who, you, who has been taken from you into heaven, will come in the same way that you have seen him going into heaven. Make this quick, but as we wrap this up, but Jesus rose in a cloud of glory. That wasn't like a cumulonimbus that covered Jesus. It was his cloud of glory, the same cloud of glory that appeared on the Mount of Transfiguration, when all of a sudden there was this cloud, and, and the three disciples were there, and they saw Moses and Elijah, and then all of a sudden the cloud was gone, and Jesus was left standing. It's the cloud of God's glory. God's glory throughout Scripture is represented by light and clouds, by, by something that looks like a mist descending on the tabernacle or descending on the temple. And so as he rises into the atmosphere, they're staring, and they must have stared for a long time. It must have got awkward. Um, they kept looking. They were hoping, I think, that when the smoke cleared, as, as they say, Jesus would be right there. But this was this final visit. This was his last time. This time, Jesus had gone home for good. And they stared up into heaven. Now, they just lost their Lord and their master, their rabbi. They had been following him for three years. They'd seen him go through some horrendous stuff, and now he was gone. Disappeared. And these two angels show up. They ask him, ask him some questions. They're basically reminding these men of Galilee that 
You've got something to do, and Jesus is coming back. He said he would, and he'll be back. He mentions heaven three times in this passage. Heaven is real. Jesus returned there, and he will come back from there to take us to be with him. He sits at the right hand of God in glory and honor as the Lamb of God who took away the sins of the world. He is the righteous Redeemer that sits at the right hand of God, interceding for us, mediating for us. But he will return. He will return one day. He will come back for his church. He will come to judge the lost and gather God's children. It's going to happen. But the angel, they, they interjected in the, into the disciples, kind of jolted the 11 disciples standing there to remember why Jesus came in the first place. And that was to redeem them, to save them. And he gave them the message of reconciliation in the gospel. And now they were to tell the world until he returns, which could be any day now. We don't know. We think we know sometimes. And we've, we've gotten all scientific about trying to figure it out as we study the Bible, but it could be any day. You know, there was a line from Romeo and Juliet that we probably all quote very often. We may not even know it's from that play. Juliet is saying goodbye to Romeo, and she says, parting is such sweet sorrow. What does that mean? Well, I think what Shakespeare meant for it is that parting is also sweet because you're thinking of the next time you will see that person. We need to be thinking that way about Jesus. It was, it was sweet sorrow for the disciples, but they had a hope that they were going to see him again one day. They thought he was going to come back probably sooner than he did, or than he has, but they got to see him when they passed. One day he's coming, oh, glorious day, this hymn says. Hear what Jesus said to them while he was living with them. He says, if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself that where I am, there you may be also. And then as the last night with them at the Lord's Supper, he said, Therefore you too have grief now, but I will see you again, and your heart will rejoice, and no one will take your joy away from you. I hope, yeah, amen, I hope you have that joy. The joy that you know one day you will see your Savior face to face. You will see the Christ, the Son of the living God. He left us for now, but he will return. Him and the Father are busy carrying out this massive redemptive plan. You know, Jesus was kind of mentioned in Genesis 3.15, which if that was 10,000 years ago when the earth was created, I'm not, I'm not a scientist, I'm not saying that's when it was, I'm just saying 10,000 years ago, he's only been gone two. You know, there's a lot of people that will come to Christ if, we, if, he, if he tarries. And so that's why we hope that he will tarry. We may want him back, but we know that it's all for the redemption of the souls that God has intended to save. Because we all love our idea of being saved. We love the fact that we're saved. That's good. And we get a little impatient. But God's got other people he wants to save. So we must use that four-letter word we've always hated. We must wait. But while we wait, we keep our mission, the mission on our mind. We keep that in front of us. And we have the Holy Spirit to help us accomplishment. Our message is clear. Our hope is eternal. And our faith is sure in Jesus Christ. See, God never leaves us without any assistance. His word and his spirit primarily, we can go to a lot. So we don't need to lose heart, as Jesus says in John 14, 1. Don't lose heart. Jesus will return. And that promise is our deposit on heaven. And God the Father will send him back to retrieve his bride, the church, 
which he has left here to do his bidding. That promise gives us eternal hope. It gives us our rock of faith. It gives us our joy that overcomes the sorrow of this sin-soaked world. We keep our eyes on Jesus. So where do we go from here? We go to the world. We go to the world to tell them about the love of Jesus. I was reading this morning about the deaf ministries that are going on all over the world. and there's, Sign language is different every, in every country. And so they have to make videos of the sign language so that people can learn it and, and share the gospel with their sign language. They can show them the videos, but it makes such a bigger impact when someone actually is there signing the gospel to them. So there's all kinds of people that still need to be reached. That's where we're going to go. His resurrection, his power, and his promise to return gives us all we need to live this life. So as I close out, just think about why did the messengers use the term men of Galilee? Why did they do that? It recalled to their mind who they used to be so that they knew what they were saved from and saved for. They're no longer men of Galilee. There are his apostles, his messengers, and they will carry that. So where are you going? You've heard the offer of forgiveness this morning that comes from Jesus Christ. Believe it. Accept it and begin a faith journey by the power of the Holy Spirit. And if you've been born again, take up your cross and follow him. Deny yourself and follow him. He's called each and every one of us to follow him in some way. Not everybody's going to do this and not everybody's going to go to the Congo. Jesus spread it out. God's got plans for everybody to do his mission. So let's take a time of prayer right now to pray for our souls, that we, we fully use the power of the Holy Spirit. Let's pray that that happens. To share the gospel, we need to pray that, that we'll submit to the Spirit every day and, and display the attitudes that he's called us to do. Let's take a time of prayer for a short time. You can come to the front if you want to pray, and I'll close this out after a minute.